Well, it's great to see you today in the house of the Lord. We're going to lift high the name of the Lord today. All hail the power of Jesus' name. I want to hear you sing. I want to hear you lift the name of the Lord together today. Let's exalt the name of the Lord together. Stand and let's sing together. All hail the power of Jesus' name.
today. Please be seated. It is great to see you in the house of the Lord. We welcome you to worship at First Baptist Church Pineville today. If you are new with us, we are delighted that you are here. We want you to do something for us. Would you take your worship guide and find that third panel? There's a card that's called a connection card there. It's perforated. Makes it easy to tear out. Would you fill out the information that's called for there? And when the offering plate is passed a little bit later in our service... Would you drop that in there so that we might get to know you a little bit better? Church family, others, if we can pray for you in special ways this week, on the other side of that card, there's information that you can fill out to let us know how we can pray for you. We would be delighted. It would be our honor to do that as well. If you are our guest today, would you join our pastor at the close of our, at our service today so that we might give you a free gift? It is a copy of his book, The Privilege of Worship. He wants to get to know you, speak to you, say hello and just experience a time of fellowship together today. Would you join me together today as we pray? Father, we're grateful today that we have the opportunity to praise your name. Father, cast our cares upon you today. Sing through us today. Give us ears to hear, a receptive heart. Father, we want to be light in a gray world today. And help us to do exactly that as we lift your name high today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, praise the name. Amen? Oh, praise the name. Let's stand and worship together. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body
Our God is an almighty God. Amen. Let's stand and worship together.
had this morning. What a joy. Oh, man. Kevin, that song and the whole worship service has been absolutely perfect for the message that we're going to have today. And we didn't talk about all the details of the message, but we worship a king of kings who is the victor and who does reign on high. We're on the right team. Aren't you glad about that? I'm not Kenny McNeely, obviously. Kenny is where a lot of our folks are today, traveling, because it's fall break for Rapids Parish Schools, and he's enjoying some time with his family. And I want to just take this opportunity to remind you of our challenge this month to try the tithe and invest in what God's doing. Uh, we have no idea what God could do as we all give to his work, and um, it's wonderful to see that happening. And when we talk about the God we serve, man... Why wouldn't we want to do that? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, for your blessing in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for a time of worship when we can gather around your throne. Lord, as we give back just a small portion of what you've given to us, may you take it, may you multiply it exceedingly beyond what we could ask or imagine to touch people literally around the world, beginning, though, right here in central Louisiana. Lord, Bless us as we give, and may we bring honor and glory to you as we continue in worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
was powerful. Aren't you glad we serve a God who holds us fast? No matter what we face, He is right there with us. Two weeks ago, we began a new sermon series called Light in a Gray World. And this series is designed to help us bring light into our culture where the lines are so blurred between things that should be clearly black and white. And we began by talking about how we need to approach our culture not as apathetic bystanders or as angry confrontationalists, but as ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors for Christ who are living for Jesus in the midst of culture, speaking for Jesus into the culture and standing up for Jesus within the culture. Today, we continue our series by shedding light on Satan's strategy. It's been said that offense wins games, but defense wins championships. That's not saying you don't need an offense, just ask LSU, but it means that when two strong teams match up, Defense is what will usually help the winning team prevail. To be good at defense, you need to understand the opposing team's offense. You need to know what they do and how they do it and when they do it. And that's one reason why coaches watch hours upon hours of tape and send scouts to watch their opponents. That's why they then show parts of that tape and tell about parts of those uh, scouting reports to their teams and why on the practice field they go over plays again and again and again, getting ready to fight back their opponent's strategies. That way, when it comes to game time, 
they're not caught off guard. But instead, whatever the game, they can look at their opponent and say, I know what you do, I know how you do it, I know when you do it, let's go. A great defense can frustrate and destroy the most awesome of offenses. The same is true when it comes to winning spiritual victories in gray cultures. It's easy to look at our culture today and ask, where did this come from? I mean, how did we get here? How can people believe this stuff? How can someone, anyone, sanction killing babies through abortion? How can we be so into ourselves with such vanity and materialism and even obesity and more rampant in our culture? How can people think living together before marriage is okay? How can homosexuality and all the other things that spring from it be viewed as anything but sin that needs to be repented of? Why are we the most medicated society ever? Why are we so sensitive? Why is there so much anger and hostility? How? Why the offensive strategy of Satan? Our culture is gray because of the influence of Satan and his realm of darkness. He desires to move us from light to darkness. Well, you get gray by adding black to white. And the more black you add, the darker the gray become and comes. And Satan's goal is to bring the world into total darkness. But you know the opposite's also true. Because the more white you add to gray, the lighter the gray becomes. And our job as believers is to shine the pure white of Christ into a darkening world to lighten the gray. Now, until the end of time, when Jesus comes back and Satan is ultimately defeated, the world will always be a little bit gray. But it doesn't have to be as gray as it is today. We need to shine light into our gray world. And the way to shine light into our culture is to first shine light on Satan's strategies. Because when we know what he does, we can stand against it. And that way we can face each day saying, I know what you do, I know how you do it, and I know when you do it. And so what does Satan do? What is his offensive strategy? Well, his playbook, I believe, is revealed in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. I ask you to turn there in your copy of God's Word if you haven't already. And consider this message as a scouting report brought back to the team to help us gain victory this week over our opponent. Now, I'm going to warn you. When you first read this passage of Scripture, these couple of verses, you're going to think, this doesn't even mention Satan. But after we walk through this, Satan's playbook will be completely clear. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. I want you to notice particularly verse 16. And at first in verse 16, just the first and last clauses, he says, For everything in the world, and then there might be a dash or something, 
and then at the end, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Notice the word world there. That's not just, not, not just planet Earth. The word there is cosmos in Greek, and cosmos has two senses. The first sense is that uh, it's the created realm as distinct from God's heavenly realm, his heavenly place. And so there's the heavenly realm, and then there is the earthly realm. Here, we're talking about the earthly realm. The second idea of cosmos has to do with a sense of the world system. The, the people constituting the world and their values and their beliefs and their morals that are distinct and apart from God's. So we might think of it as there is God's way and then there is the world's way. And so John here is talking about the world's way, the physical realm and the way we do things in the physical realm. Now, how does the world, the cosmos created by God, get in opposition and rebellion against God? How can that happen? It's because the prince of this world is set against the king of kings. And who is the prince of this world? Satan. Jesus said in John 12, verses 31 and 32, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And in John 16, verse 11, Jesus said, the prince of this world now stands condemned. So it's clear that the prince of this world is Satan. But I love that in each of these passages, while we get the disappointing truth that Satan is the prince of this world, we also get the glorious truth that Jesus will ultimately defeat him. I want you to grasp one important truth as we begin today and we shed light on Satan's strategy, and that is this. We fight from victory, not for victory. You see, even though the world is becoming increasingly dark, we know the end of the story because we've read the end of the book. And we know the results of the championship game in the preseason. God wins, Satan loses. Satan may be the prince of this world, but he will never be the king of this world. He knows that. And that's why he hates God. That's why he hates the people of God. And so when we go on the field, though, we fight from victory, not for victory. We know the outcome, but we still have to fight hard through the game until the final buzzer. So we need to shed light on Satan's strategies and his playbook. And I think they're found right in the middle of verse 16. The cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has done. I really think the old King James Version has the clearer translation where it says, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's Satan's playbook right there. For all the temptation he brings, for all the sin he promotes, for all the destruction he causes, Satan only has three offensive plays. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. That's it. Now, he presents them in different ways with different players, but his plays are the same. He uses the same three because they work. His plays aren't like LSU's old offense that everybody knew and never worked. 
His plays are the same, but they have worked for millennia. Now, in this passage, there's a lot that we can learn. But I want to show you how Satan does this. I'd like to show you two games that are recorded in the Bible. One's at the outset of the Old Testament. The other's at the outset of the New Testament. In one of the stories, the individual is defeated by Satan. In the other story, the individual conquers Satan. And there's a lot in these passages that we could glean about temptation and ourselves and Jesus and Satan and all of that. But I want to just focus on the things that we need to make our point today. So turn first to Genesis chapter 3. Now when you hear that scripture passage, you know probably the story of the temptation of Adam and Eve beginning with the temptation of Eve. But I want you to notice and see how Satan uses these three plays to get Eve to sin. In the very first sin ever recorded, Satan uses these three plays. Remember that God created the world perfect. There was no sin. It was very good. But Satan wanted to bring down God's perfect creation. And so we begin in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And so the mascot of team Satan is a snake. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Satan comes to Eve during her regular life and that's how Satan comes to us. If he said, hey, I'm Satan, I want to trip you up right fast, we'd say, forget you, man, I'm getting out of here. But instead, he slithers up to us and starts playing the game. Perhaps it happens while we're at work, while we're driving down the road, or at the computer. But we're doing something normal and harmless when Satan comes and starts to play the game. And he starts with a mind game. Did God really say, nah, you won't die. And that got Eve doubting God's word. You see, if Satan can make you doubt God's word, he can get you to do anything. And friends, that is why it is vital that we stand for the authority and truth of God's word. Satan knows the truth of Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. He knows that it penetrates and it divides soul and spirit, joints and marrow, that it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Therefore, Satan knows he needs to render this weapon useless. It's the only offensive weapon we have in our armor of the Spirit from Ephesians 6. 
Satan also knows the truth of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 that says all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So Satan must then turn us away from the word so that we will not be taught, we will not be rebuked, we will not be corrected, and we will not be trained in righteousness. You see, time has proven what people warned about just a few decades ago. Those Christian denominations who did not affirm the authority and truth and inerrancy of Scripture a few decades ago are now the very ones who are promoting or excusing some of the things we can't believe are happening. I don't know if you realize that. Satan begins by playing mind games with you. If he can get your eye off of God's word, he's got you. In sports language, if he can make you doubt what your coach has said, he's already won. And then he starts executing his three plays. Look at all three happening in rapid fire succession in verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. Lust of the flesh, hey, it's good for food. Lust of the eyes, hey, it looks nice. It was pleasing to the eye. Pride of life, desirable for gaining wisdom. Notice Satan starts on the outside and then he gets on the inside. How does he get in? Usually right here through the eye gate. And if it's not the eye gate, it's through our other senses. But once he gets in the eye gate, he goes straight for the mind. And when Satan gets into our mind, that's where he does his main battle. He helps us to reason away the sin so that we will do just what he wants us to do. And then when we give in, well, we do just like Eve did. We take and we eat. Do you see how easily he does it with just three plays? Now, turn to the New Testament story, Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, this is one of the accounts of the temptation of Jesus. So whereas Eve was our example of a defeat by the offensive strategy of Satan, Jesus is our example of, a, of defeating the offensive strategy of Satan. And I want us to look and just read through this story very briefly and then do the same thing as we did with Eve's temptation Luke records, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And here comes Satan. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I'll give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it also says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. 
Now, with Jesus, the difference with him and Eve is Satan just jumps right in. He doesn't disguise himself because Jesus could have seen right through any disguise. But Satan does implement all three of his favorite plays, but dresses them up in a little bit different way to present them to Jesus. Jesus has just been fasting for 40 days. He's been on a spiritual fast where he ate absolutely nothing. So no doubt he was very hungry. So where does Satan start? With the physical hunger. And he then moves through his other two plays. But it's the same three plays even in the same order. Lust of the flesh. Hey, turn these stones into bread. You need it. Lust of the eyes. Hey, look at all them kingdoms there, dude. I could give you all these kingdoms. And then the pride of life. And if you'll just jump off, he'll save you and everyone will believe. Now, unlike Eve, Jesus was able to defeat Satan's offense with a strong defense. And did you notice what it was? That the defense Jesus used was the same one Eve laid aside when Satan came to her the sword of God's word. Satan convinced Eve to doubt God's word. Jesus goes straight to the sword of God's word. The sword is usually an offensive weapon, but it can also be defensive if we are defending ourselves instead of advancing against a foe. And so to combat Satan's twisted hermeneutic that he uses here, Jesus gives back the true word of God. Jesus wields the sword of the word of God with power and with might. And in every situation in the temptation of Jesus, G Satan tried to use the word of God to tempt Jesus. Did you notice the twisting of the word? Did you know that if you are the son of God, all these kind of things? Satan dresses up his plays with tactics that appeal to you, to where you are, to who God has called you to do. What he's called you to do. The way Satan works here reminds us, though, that Satan knows the word of God very well. He can take verses out of context. He can twist the meaning of verses into all kinds of contortions to make you think his way is right. And if you haven't noticed, that's another way that the grayness has been creeping into the church of Jesus Christ. Not only has Satan caused people to doubt God's word, but he's also caused them to twist their understanding of God's word. Sunday through Tuesday of this week, I was at Southeastern Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina, one of our six Southern Baptist seminaries to begin my service there as a trustee. And while there, I met a fellow trustee who pastors in upstate New York, north of Buffalo. It's cold there. He is theologically conservative, but his entire family has bought into the lies of culture. In fact, his older brother is one of the leading liberal theologians in America, promoting what is known as a homoerotic hermeneutic. And what that does is they look at the Bible and they find homosexual relationships all through the Bible. My friend shared with me that these people view such things as the relationship of David and Jonathan in the Old Testament and Jesus and the beloved disciple in the New Testament as homosexual relationships. These people find homosexuality under every stone they can in the Bible, except, of course, where it's called a sin. 
They explain those away. The Bible's out of date. It's old. It's irrelevant. Their conclusions are ridiculous. But Satan has won the battle in those people's minds. You see, understanding how to study God's word rightly is vital, church. We must make sure that we do exegesis where we pull out what God is telling us instead of eisegesis where we read into the Bible what we want to find there. What has happened in our culture is that some people think themselves too smart for Jesus. When someone thinks themselves too smart for Jesus and sets God's word aside as irrelevant and out of date, they are listening to the lies of the devil. He is at work in their life to lead them into increasing darkness. And if you're in that way of thinking, be warned and turn back to God's word. Because you will find that the wisdom of God far exceeds the wisdom of the world. Go to guys like C.S. Lewis and Lee Strobel who began their lives as skeptics but were eventually convinced of the truth and the wisdom of God's word. Think about the Apostle Paul who was the greatest critic of Christianity who was then the greatest missionary of Christianity. Know the word of God. Satan only has three offensive ways, plays, but realize this. We have 1,189 defensive strategies because there are 1,189 verses in the Bible. Like Jesus did, tell Satan what God has really said. The Word of God stands up before Satan. I bet even the genealogies will freak him out because he can't pronounce the names either. Now, of course, in, in order to speak the word, you got to know the word. So that's why it's vital that you spend time with God on a daily basis in the word, that you participate in a Sunday school class and in worship weekly. Take in everything you can because you will need it because Satan is relentless. This wasn't even a once and done thing with Jesus. Did you see? He left him until an opportune time. He was coming back. Satan had to deal, or Jesus had to deal with temptation every day just like we do. Now, a lot of times an offense will work to exploit a weakness in a defense. And do you know what Satan exploits in us? One little word, I. At the middle of the word sin is I. At the middle of the word pride is I. And in order to get us to fall victim to his three plays, he focuses our attention on ourselves. And look how it falls into his playbook. Lust of the flesh, I need it. Lust of the eyes, I want it. Pride of life, I deserve it. Think of any temptation you have ever faced, and I guarantee you it falls into one of those three categories or a combination of all of them. If you look at any sin that's promoted in our culture today, you will see one of these plays being used by people to get some people to commit the sin and other people to condone the sin and other people still to advance the sin. I need more. I want more. I deserve more. Acceptance, money, freedom, justice, concern, understanding, whatever it is, more, more. To me, it's all about me. The result of all this focus on I is what? An outflow of unforgiveness and anger and pride and dissension and adversity and more. 
And all the mess, all the darkness, all the grayness by ex- begins by exploiting that one little word, I, with three simple plays. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Team, we now know the plays. And as we go out there and we play the game today and the next day and for the rest of our lives, let's not be fooled. The game will be fierce, but remember, we fight from victory, not for victory. The championship has already been won. Don't believe me? Consider Revelation 5.5. When John saw one of the elders come before him and said, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. Say that with me. Triumphed. Say it like you mean it. Triumphed. <laughs> that was good. I mentioned earlier that the mascot of Satan's team is a snake. Friends, our mascot is a lion. One swipe of his paw and that snake goes flying. You know Satan's playbook. Therefore, when Satan comes at you, you look at him in the eye and you say, I know what you do, I know how you do it, and I know when you do it, but don't you dare challenge him to a duo by saying, let's go. You do what, the, what God tells you to do and you say, now go. You tell him to get out of there. Because if you're a follower of Christ, be confident you are on the winning team. The snake may slither, but the lion's going to roar. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word that is still just as true today as it's always been. And we pray, God, that we would believe it, we would know it, we would use it, and we would stand upon it. God, encourage us in the faith today as we walk into a world that's increasingly dark. And we pray, Lord, that we would be your ambassadors, shining light through the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.